Must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. Uh, it's about being in teams. It's about leading teams. It's about getting the most out of your teams. I am Mark Johnson. I'm a performance maker and a performance teacher, and I am joined, as always, from sunny-ish West London, uh, sports coach and head of uh, co-curricular and sports at our shared workplace, Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. How are we doing? I'm all, I'm all right today. I mean, I'm, you can probably hear in my voice, I'm a little bit, uh, little bit uh, snotty, but... Uh, Lovely. Like, my, brain, my brain's all right. How about you? Not too bad. My brain is okay, I think, on this uh, glorious Sunday morning. Yeah, watched a little bit of sport yesterday, which was quite good. Watched a lot of sport, actually. I watched the football then some rugby, and then two more games of football until the evening. So yeah, I'm sported out. And it has been quite a sport-heavy few weeks on the pod uh, with the two Dannys and such. So it's quite fun that today, I think we barely mentioned sport. Exactly. I try and segue in it a few times, but no, this is all about performance and drama today, Mark, isn't it? Yeah, so we, um, following on from... Uh, the conversation we had with Danny last week, we actually uh, were put in touch with the head of drama at the place that he works at this independent school in the Northwest to talk a little bit about, based off of a, a blog post that he wrote, a little bit about how collaboration has been working during lockdown over Zoom. I know that pretty much everyone out there is experiencing something similar, but there are workplaces and environments where like zoom for some reason just doesn't feel helpful and we talked a little bit about it in terms of sports training uh a couple of times during the first lockdown during this one so it's it's a fascinating one today because we're going to be getting straight on to how uh it has impacted both teaching but also specifically teaching performance which i have uh i'm i have my feelings about and matt really uh it says some enlightening stuff about it too. So without further ado, we will jump over to uh, our guest for this week, Matt King Sace. So we are very, very excited and uh, very, very privileged to have on the podcast this week, Matt King Sace. Matt is the head of drama at a leading independent school in the Northwest. In fact, the same leading independent school in the Northwest that our previous guest, Danny, was from. Hello, Matt. Good morning. Morning, Mark. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm really good. Uh, Sean is here too. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Sean. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you for, ha- thank you for having it's, me. And we say B, we are, of course, still speaking remotely. So Matt is up in the north uh, i'm assuming sunny tropical climate yep sun, sun, sunny <laughs> sunny manchester it's looking ever so slightly <laughs> gray today which is obviously very unusual for the middle of manchester yeah who would who would believe and i'm super excited today because obviously we we got very deep into into sport last week and uh, now we go, we're flipping the coin and dropping into drama this week. Um, Matt, that's a really, really short intro uh, from me. Would you mind telling people kind of a little bit about your journey, how you've landed where you are? Yeah, okay. So 
I um, did the traditional educational route. I did my GCSEs. I went straight on to my A-levels. I went on to university, um, got to the end of university, and I was kind of starting to think, what do I want to do? I had a real passion. I knew I wanted to work with people, but I kind of had a kind of crisis of like options, careers and things like that. And then weirdly out of the blue, I got a call from a top university in the world, one of the top two in the UK, begins with a C, um, and they asked me <laughs> if, I, if I'd ever thought about teacher training. Um, I toyed with the idea, but I hadn't made any firm plans. Bear in mind, I was 20. Um, then I made the mistake of telling my mum, which if you're ever in, undecided about something, you never tell, you never tell your mum. And she was and she was adamant that this was a great career opportunity. It's a proper job, um, not not doing your drama and being some actor and things like that. This is something that's going to keep you going. So oh, um, I'm feeling triggered at the moment. I'm hearing her calling you Matthew. <laughs> oh, well, she was. Have I left that bit out? And that's when you know. That's when you know you, that the arguments are gone. It's black and white. So I, I applied. I ended up getting into this university and I thought, when are you going to get these opportunities elsewhere? I'm going to do this. I'm going to ride, ride the wave. Um, and then I started, um, obviously, with my teacher placements. And that led to my first job working down in Suffolk. And actually, when I started training, even though I come from a drama background, I started as an English teacher. So I, I'm a, I qualified as an English teacher and did drama on the side is kind of like my B subject, if you like, but it wasn't part yeah, of the, 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 we're not, we're not going to hire you for it or pay you for it. But all of a sudden you're a drama teacher now. <laughs> oh, completely. And then very, very early on, I end up teaching A level and things like that. Then I had the opportunity to move to a job where I kind of, I was head of drama in um, Ipswich. And I did that for a couple of years. It was quite an established course and things like that. I was pretty much as most people who teach art subjects, a department of one. Um, so it was quite difficult to push ideas out there because they were quite stuck in their ways. And then um, through life, obviously, as a way of going on journeys, I ended up moving up north and I moved to teach in a school in between Halifax and Huddersfield in wonderful West Yorkshire. And I was a, as a drama teacher with English. So I did a bit of both, learned an awful lot at that school, actually, a lot about how to structure things, a lot about how to come across um a lot of, it taught me a lot about planning and preparation, but I'm sure we'll come on to that later. Um, then I had the opportunity after I was there for a number of years and I enjoyed it so much. I kind of stopped thinking about my career and where I could go. I just enjoyed engaging with the kids and doing stuff I believed in. And then I moved, had the opportunity to be head of drama at school, a massive comprehensive school. I think it's the biggest one in South Manchester. Did that for several years. And then the opportunity came about 18 months ago to move to work at another school in Greater Manchester to lead drama. But what excited me more was not, I mean, on paper, it's, it was pretty much the same role I've been doing for about 10 years. Um, what excited me more was they were looking to set things up and they wanted to develop partnerships. They were really receptive and wanted to kind of develop something. So I got quite excited to actually be at the forefront of leading some real change. And um, then lockdown hit and here we are talking on a lovely Saturday morning. Yeah, so this is, this is um, in, terms of a, in terms of a role... This is your fir your first year at this particular school. That idea of going somewhere that will let you start 
making changes or making is that is that something that you've always been driven towards or was that a, the opportunity was there and suddenly a light bulb went I guess leading change has always been something that's really really exciting I'm I'm a, as we've spoken about before um the interview I'm I'd really love saying yes and I've got myself caught up in the last few years of saying yes to absolutely everything very similar to um the film with Jim Carrey or Danny Wallace's book and just seeing what comes from it and, you know, at the moment, I guess, we live in a period where we are, everything's changing so rapidly. And I think it's really, really important to work with teams, to develop any sort of leadership, to be willing to be adaptable, to be willing to embrace things. We can be passive or we can take the bull by the horns. And it really excited me to actually be in the driving seat and be able to work within a school where I align with their ethos and their culture and I wholeheartedly believe that. And I felt that they believed in me and they were willing to give me the trust, the ownership to do that. And they wanted things to happen at quite an accelerated rate. I mean, we developed the curriculum, we rolled it out, we introduced GCSE. This year we're introducing A-level, you know, and we're starting to infuse the kids and things like that and really give the subject status. I mean, with lockdown, there's the kind of negative side. I mean, the government, theatres, the arts, we're suffering in the arts and culture sector. We forget that it's one of the biggest industries in the UK, if not the biggest sector that brings in the most money. But the government decided it was non-essential. It's just something nice, a nice cherry on top of the cake almost, and have completely sidelined it, haven't they? Yeah. One of the ways in which you came to our attention via Danny was this uh, blog post that you wrote that was posted on Creative Minds and we'll chuck a link to it in the um, in the show notes for anyone who hasn't read it. And you do mention at the end of that, actually, this idea that the the sidelining of arts and culture from an economic point of view, from an from a industrial point of view, the value that they are currently presenting for young people in educational setting and just generally life, the necessity for some of the skills that that you and I find ourselves promoting and building through this academic subject are all the more essential now, even while the industry itself is kind of being squished. It's kind of an amazing, it's an amazing, it's an amazing contradiction right there. I think completely. And I think now more than ever, I mean, if you think about the world generally, and especially as a microcosm in schools, mental health, well-being, all these things that we need to address. I mean, we're currently in a second lockdown and the arts, anything cultural brings a smile to people. It brings people together. It gives them positivity. It gives them the opportunities to express themselves, you know, and, and I think we need to provide opportunities to allow people to engage and be able to do that. You know, and what better way than find ways through the arts, find ways through culture, you know, and drama in particular, I guess, for me. I think as well, just, uh, you know, how me and Mark kind of align so so well. We actually share an office together, which is quite quite strange uh, uh, for, a, for a head of co-curricular in sport and drama teachers to be sharing an office, but it works. Clearly, we have a podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just where we align on that in terms of lockdown is just, you know, sport as well, uh, as well as the arts kind of, people recognizing how important it is you know the amount of new runners that we found the the amount of new bikes that were bought you know because we were told not to use public transport and uh it just creepy makes, peloton people yeah yeah 
I'm not going to say that actually. Peloton guys, you do you. You're yeah. not creepy. Also, please send Sean a bike. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's, that's how podcasting us. works. Yeah. But but no, just just the fact that, you know, like you said about the arts, when it's not there, people very quickly understand how much, how important it is to them. And much like physical activity, when it's taken away from you, realize how important it is. And sometimes we take it for granted. I think both sport, physical activity and also the arts. I completely agree with you, Sean. Was it Joni Mitchell who said you don't know what you got till it's gone? And it's so important. <laughs> nice. isn't it? Men- mental health and well-being, all those things. It's so important that we find ways to be positive, find new ways of doing things. Like you say, people taking up new sports. I mean, our gyms are shut down. It's so easy to be couch potatoes. There was lots of conversation, wasn't there, during lockdown about obesity levels and all sorts of things like that. And that's probably why you and Mark align so well, because you are wanting to be proactive and get people engaged in doing something again that's going to have some sort of benefit to them. You know, it's such a shared ethos, I guess, that shared culture. And that's part of the thing that excites me most when you get going and when you work in teams, you've got to have that shared vision, that shared culture to bounce off each other and excite each other with that moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm also well aware that the three of us have um, what we wouldn't always consider the privilege of being around groups of young people. Um, doesn't have to be young people necessarily, but I'm aware whenever we go into lockdown, and particularly now that schools are open, but everyone else is, you know, working from home and such, that our, the luxury of being able to be kind of collectively around people and the importance of that, the reason why we meet in audiences, the reason why we join in crowds to cheer a team uh, that is removed. We, we still get to do that a little bit, even if it's like 10, 20 at a time. Uh, that I think is one of those things that we, that I'm now taking for granted that I know like, you know, my family or, or my friends who don't have jobs where they have, they are still allowed to be around people, uh, get, get to experience right now. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what the three of us end up being in the business of trying to create in some way. Completely. Couldn't agree more. So I, I want to talk about, I want to talk about drama. Sorry, Sean. Yeah. Um, although you, if anyone was uh, tuned into the last episode, Sean is actually some kind of a drama prodigy when it comes to the uh, surrealist theatre of Artaud. He's actually maybe a genius. So you, this this could all this could all be you know way below you, Sean. And and I took GCSE drama, you know. So oh, also that. <laughs> um, <laughs> there we go. But I wanted to address some of the because. It gets thrown around this idea that as, as drama teachers, we are, um, you know, we're teaching the exam part of the subject, but we're also responsible for training in soft skills of X and Y. Um, all skills that I find massively important. I wanted to talk particularly about, um, I want to talk about risk and how in terms of teaching risk in groups, risk of uh, failure, risk of looking like an idiot in front of your mates and any, and, and how important it is for you and how you go about getting young people to take risks. And then we'll talk afterwards, maybe a little bit about how that happens now that some of that risk taking is remote. Let's do it. Um, risk taking is a really, really difficult one. I think it's links quite well to drama, why people pick drama, why parents, um, when you talk to parents, why they say that they've 
um, point of their child in the direction of pick and drop. And it's always about, oh, it will boost their confidence, um, mm. which is sometimes quite nice, sometimes quite nebulous and tokenistic. But I think the most important thing is um, to draw out that bravery and have some enthusiasm in what you're doing. I think that's the first and foremost thing, to have some enthusiasm and some for what you're doing and getting the buy-in. I think like with any sort of teaching or any sort of teamwork thing, it's then about structuring something. So you take, you kind of create some sort of skeleton, some sort of structure that people can work around taking, trying to mitigate or take away any kind of fears and things like that. So creating a safe and constructive environment and I guess as teachers that's what we're trying to do all the time aren't we trying to make our children trying to make people we work with our colleagues in teams going beyond in fact the classroom feel safe um, and only when they can do that do they, do they start dipping their toe into the waters of taking risk I think I think firstly I come up with lots of different steps keeping keeping the stakes quite low and then you kind of build it up and I think for me, it's a little bit like learning. And I think with revision and thing, things like that, they talk about revision and keep going back over things, don't they? Because it builds up the strength yeah. and the synapses and things like that. That kind of, the, the spiral Completely. structure of a, of a year, yeah. In one of the podcasts, I think it was you, Sean, you were talking about ritual. In fact, it was yes. last week, wasn't it? Inspired by yeah. Mr. Yeah. Antonin Arto. And I think it's literally <laughs> that, isn't it? By repeating <laughs> things, it takes away fear. And that, for me is the beginning of risk-taking. Only then can you start building people's confidence up. And then I, I tend to not direct the kids so much as opposed to mm. make it appear that they've got free reign. And I just drop in suggestions. And for different people, I might drop in different suggestions. It's, you know, you ever so slightly can manipulate the situation. You know what they need implicitly. If you've worked with a group and you've seen them in a situation, you know some ex, somebody needs this, somebody needs that. And you go over to them and you develop that relationship. You know, oh, that's really good. But how about you just try doing this, knowing implicitly that that's going to be a mm. real challenge for them. And sometimes you watch their face screw up as they're thinking, are you kidding? That's never going to happen. And then it's a case of just supporting them to realise that really. And before you yeah. know it, that act of kind of drawing out their bravery develops. And then the next time they do it, they're willing to go a little bit further because they felt supported. They knew that you've got their back. They knew that what you were setting them was a little bit of a challenge you know, they're going outside their comfort zone, which dips into a little bit of the 2% mindset stuff that I was talking about in my yeah, blog and yeah. we were talking about before. I think it's that, really. Yeah. There's an interesting kind of connection that I'm making between the two things that we've spoken about already. This idea of, of building up a propensity or a, a resilience to risk, along with this idea of enthusiasm, because there's this, there is this threshold that certainly I, as a drama teacher, want to get the students to meet. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Where week one, it's me going, why don't you try this? Week 10 is a student walking into a room, seeing a bit of paper and going, oh, that bit of paper makes me want to try this. So the the task or the the idea doesn't come from a suggestion but rather the invitation of something and kind of building up uh, an abstraction of that invitation so that it goes from me saying i want you guys to come up with a gesture and do that gesture really quickly and really slowly until you know they're in a room and they see that there is a you know a costume rail 
and they decide for what we want to do, I'm going to need to take that costume, even though I've not said use costumes if you need to. That challenge of of it becoming self uh, independent, becoming mm-hmm. becoming my own inspiration or incentive to take the risk, and in particular where that risk might be against the teacher. That's the excitement of any sort of education, isn't it? When even if they do something yeah. complete that throws a complete curveball, when you think you've actually taken that within yourself, these suggestions that I've been building up to, building up to, and now you are doing something independent, it might be absolutely shocking. But the fact that they're now taking some ownership, and that's mm. that's a real a real reward as a teacher, isn't it? When it's almost like the pennies dropped. Yeah. How do you feel about breaking rules, Sean? Uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan. No, <laughs> no. I, I was actually going to say, Matt, I was going to link that risk and you saying yes to a lot of things, but also being that kind of leader uh, in change. Because I think one of the big parts of people not wanting to change or innovate is because they're scared. There is a fear there. But for someone who is always kind of advocating kind of the leading of change and enjoying that process, is there things you're doing with the young people that you then have to go and do with adults in terms of manipulating things slightly, communicating in a certain way, trying to get them on board, understanding that risk can be positive, change is good? Are there, are there kind of similarities? Completely and utterly, Sean. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, lead, any sort of change is scary. And we do one of two things, don't we? We either sit back and become very reactive and kind of cower and think this is just something happening to me and as teachers I'm sure you'll be familiar with sitting in staff meetings or getting emails and you look at it and and so many you can hear around the comm room around the staff room people either audibly or not so audibly groaning thinking oh this is another thing I've got to do and they don't necessarily see the purpose of it do they Mm. but or as I said before we can adapt and change and really do something quite proactive now with the pupils as with anybody I've ever led, I think in terms of leading any sort of change, you've got to have a really clear vision of what you want to achieve, almost like a path, how you get, what you want to do going from A to B, you know, what your end result is and have a really clear idea of how you measure success yourself. And by having that, I think the next thing then is kind of getting people on board in sharing your enthusiasm for them you know, there's nothing it, just with anybody in particular, there's nothing more interesting in somebody, regardless of what it is, than somebody's really into something, someone who's really committed to something. You know, when you meet people for the first time and they're really infused by a particular sport or they really love the Mets, you know, which was a fantastic opportunity when I went to New York or, you know, even or they really love stamp collecting, you know, not my necessarily my cup of tea, but they're into it. They know everything. They're invested in it. And that enthusiasm, I think, can be infectious. And when you've got that, that's half the battle. And then once you've got your kind of vision, your enthusiasm, you can then start looking at your teams or looking at the kids and kind of working out some sort of structure together with some sort of collaboration of how you can achieve that. I think it's really important with 
like I've said when we were talking about um, a classroom situation, just like with your team, that you know your team, you, you've got an idea of their strengths, of things they can bring to it. Being a leader doesn't necessarily mean doing it all yourself. And I think it's really important to have a knowledge of your team and have trust in them. Before you can do anything, the relationship comes first. They've got to trust in you. You've got to trust in them. And that's part of them getting on board with your kind of vision and your leadership idea. And only then can you work together to reach your end goal. But it's really important, like as I said, when we're teaching children and building up their synapses, that we keep revisiting things. We don't just go from A to B and think, done it now, wash my hands of it. You know, it's part of our bigger idea. And if you keep revisiting, you're going to keep people on board through that act of almost ritual. It kind of makes it a bit more sticky, so to speak. And it? and when you're trying to develop culture, uh, you know, that doesn't that doesn't happen from putting a sign up and saying this is us doing it. it's about repeating it's about making it how we operate day to day completely i think i uh you know again with two drama uh drama guys today so why not talk about acting um i i think sometimes you have to kind of fake it until you make it a little bit as well as a leader and i think that sometimes you don't always know what that end goal is going to be or you don't necessarily know if it's going to be as fantastic an idea as you first thought it was but it's that thing you've got to play it like it is play it like it is and model it and model it around the uh, the school or your your business or in the office or wherever it may be and I think that that's a really strong part of leadership it is almost that acting obviously there needs to be an authenticity behind the idea and the reasons for doing it but kind of that acting of it and modeling it I think is quite important as well it is the it is the when I'm being dismissive of of the performing arts, but also I kind of believe it. Uh, I say to I say to the students that uh, basically what we're doing here, the job of acting is taking something that's kind of dumb and making it really really important for a minute. I'm taking this this play that we've been mucking around with, and telling an audience that for the time that we're involved in it, it's the most important thing in the world. And that's, for me, the biggest challenge in teaching drama is getting people comfortable making something really important for a minute. Completely. Giving it that enthusiasm, jumping on board. And that is a a skill of fakery. That's a skill of I'm going to pretend for a bit. And like, there's no magic trick to acting. It's just pretending, guys. (laughs) But it's pretending really hard. (laughs) Really hard. And if you want it bad enough, it'll happen. (laughs) (laughs) with a plan with a a solid plan and a backup job (laughs) Matthew stop being a dreamer (laughs) get your feet on the floor just like my mum used to say Um, yeah I I think possibly what you're starting to talk about there Mark is not and to an extent you Sean it's not necessarily about you know obviously um, having that vision and going oh we're going to dream big I think the reason you're getting people to go with you it's that humility isn't it there's got we work with people there's always got to be that human aspect you know people when you lead when you bring in any team together when you're trying to achieve something together you know people have got their own things which might go on you know go on beyond your awareness beyond your existence everyone's got their own lives you're trying to pull them together with a common goal or a common aim but we can never forget that our approach we have to have that humanity and that you know that real you that empathy that touch and also 
um, be real about stuff. Sometimes it's yeah. good to just go, do you know what? This ain't working. And to actually be quite real and, and not think you've got all the answers to everything and be so rigid is really important, I think, in leading something and bringing a group together to get something that's going to be sustainable, I guess. It's a fascinating perspective, particularly when you're thinking about uh, the version of leadership that is teaching or coaching and particularly teaching or coaching young people where their authenticity meter, I call it their bullshit meter, <laughs> is super calibrated, but their expectation is that we are in sometimes the expert at the front of the classroom. And particularly when I'm working with A-level and we're devising stuff and there isn't an answer to know the answer to where they'll ask a question and the reflex is to go, oh, I have to know how to respond to this. It's it's not always possible. It's not something that uh, that we can do. And so you have to have that ability to stand in front of people and go, I don't know, but if we need to work it out, let's work it out. No, complete. Uh, do you know what? And thinking more about that, Mark, I think COVID's been a great leveler for us all, hasn't it? Even yeah. as educators, because as you say, the, the pupils expect you to know everything, you know, yeah. especially um, where I am now in a, a fee paying school, you know, you almost feel like you have to do that. But yeah. and it's it's been a real leveler to go, do you know what? I know no more than you. I don't know. Yeah. I can offer you assurances. I can use my experience. I can use what I've been through before and impart that to you. But we're just going to have to find a way through this together. But trust me, I'm not yeah. going to abandon you on this journey. And that's that's exactly the thing, that. That, that 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 that's where the growth mindset kicks in, where our right. role as that teacher in the room is to go. I can model for you someone who believes that we're going to we're going to be all right. Yeah, I can absolutely. model for you someone who knows that there is an answer, even if we haven't found it yet, even if I don't know it yet. <laughs> oh, completely. And isn't that how even in sports teams as well, I'm guessing, Sean, people buy in? If you believe in what you're doing and believe in the people you're working with, you know, you've, you'll find ways to get to your end goal together. I guess that happens in training, things like that. Some people on a football you know, on a football team, everyone's got a different position, haven't they, for example, and people are just naturally better at it. But it's kind of finding ways to get there together and support each other and play to your strengths. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, it's where kind of me and Mark kind of cross over because, you know, when you are doing a production and things like that, there are so many different roles within it, you know, not just on stage, but backstage and costumes and, and on the football pitch, it's not just about one role, you know. You can have two or three players having a really bad day um, but the rest of the group kind of elevate their game because one or two players uh, are having a bit of a stinker, so to speak. And, you know, so I think that's what Mark said at the very beginning. Like we love working with, you know, young people, but just groups in general. Um, and if you get the right people together, um, it can be really, really special. You know, having those tangible goals that you can achieve together. I think when we spoke about sort of well-being and 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 things like that, you know, it's really good just for yourself, <laughs> like to just have those end goals and to work with people and to <laughs> achieve a thing. And I think a lot of people yeah. maybe let's say in more nine to five jobs, um, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with, um, probably earn a lot more than me, um, is uh, is um, they maybe don't have those things that they're working towards in groups every single day. And I think that's a shame because I think there's so much that we can get out of working with groups. I, I know what you mean. I do remember working in some of the kind of crappiest jobs on paper 
that were my favourite because of the gang you work with. And actually, if you took away that gang, Definitely. all you've got is the crappy job. Definitely. <laughs> Completely. I think you'd start touching something that rang in my brain when you were talking there, Sean, when we talk about goals and teams, it's that. And it also in terms of productions and things like that from performance mm. side, um, at every level, it's being able to acknowledge the work that goes into it. How many times, you know, has there been a sports team, they've not done very well in those 90 minutes and people think, oh, well, they've, you know, they bowled up two minutes for the game and played and they were rubbish. Or when there's a, when, especially I've noticed going through the years of being, obviously someone who did drama on the side, someone who's done it beyond my job, someone who's, who leads lots of productions, sometimes people can be quite dismissive and as well as them not seeing all the work that goes into it they don't see everybody's involved sometimes if your performance lasts 20 minutes they don't they can't seem to acknowledge that that's actually the culmination of months and months and months of yeah. work and there's people yeah. backstage well, people at the side of the stage you know ev- you know everybody needs to come together to play their part and i was listening to your podcast the other week with um, the guy from Cambly Theatre. Oh, yeah, Andy. Yeah, and he talks about everybody playing their part and, you know, not being afraid to do the kind of crappy jobs, if you like. You know, if you're expecting somebody to, you know, do the most mundane jobs. I remember when I used to work part-time in retail and I got to the heady heights of um, leading um, the kind of customer service team and I remember actually doing things like sweeping up, mopping up sick and things like that, because I thought, well, I've got to be prepared to do those things. How am I going to get anybody to have faith in me and see me leading the team if I'm not prepared to get my hands dirty first? So it's that acknowledgement and preparedness to get involved. Yeah. The worst version of that manager is the one that goes, uh, well, I've been you and I'm where I am now, so I don't have to be you anymore completely do as I say not as I do type thing they sit in their ivory towers and I guess we've all had experiences of leaders and managers who do that Mm. and how how little respect do you have for them sometimes you have to work for them because they've they've told you you have to do something but you don't respect their leadership it's more like a management thing kicks in isn't it and there's a big difference between leadership and management I think indeed So one thing I did want to ask is I consider myself and you might do too, someone whose job it is to teach how to collaborate. And I've got lots of experience of doing that in the room and I have my strategies. And that was basically blown up like dynamite underneath blown to pieces when we all went into lockdown and I had to completely rethink how collaboration worked how did you how did you find that i mean do you have anything fun you do in the room to teach working together and how did you find the translation of that into a virtual environment um, i think much like you i have techniques within the room of how to get people to collaborate together again it's about that support and taking away that kind of fear of doing so isn't it sometimes you have to model certain things or be prepared to get up first and make a complete idiot of yourself you know, and be quite human. But lockdown was really, really difficult. And I, I, I referred to this in a blog I wrote with um, our Northwest partner for um, Arts Council England, Curious Minds. Lockdown was really difficult for us to collaborate, especially when we were teaching remotely, you know, everyone was at home and things like that. And also I was doing an awful lot of work towards our school achieving arts month for the first time and that was one of the jobs 
that I was given when I took on the role. And obviously I was quite passionate about doing it. I've done it a few times, but to try and reach out and keep partnerships going with different organizations, it was, it was difficult because everybody was effectively in isolation. A lot of people, um, I think when COVID started, we didn't know how long it was going to ha- happen for, how long it was going to last. People battened down the hatches, didn't they? A lot of Very people much. Thought, I've just got to do X, Y, and Z. So how did, how did I keep that going? I think for me, it was about keeping my network going, keeping in touch with everybody. For the, for the pupils in the classroom, it was setting things that were achievable for them, setting them little goals and building that up to them, sharing things. So I got... Eventually, we built up things where we were doing performances virtually to each other. We were recording things and uploading. And it was really, really wonderful because there were there were children there who, you know, to speak to them face to face were incredibly shy and they wouldn't dream of putting their head above the parapet. But there they were in their front room doing something, jumping up and down the sofa. They built something using cushions and found some, found some you know, <laughs> yeah. costume. And then I think to keep that going in a public form, it was about acknowledging that, about going, do you know what, blooming well done. Didn't think about that. And now I've found coming back to what I do, they're more on board with it. You've, they've got a little bit of buy-in. And that was a strategy that I used. And when also when I was talking to other partners, talking to other adults, it was the same sort of thing, coming up with some really exciting ideas and going, do you know what, I can support you with that or I know such and such who can maybe help you that I don't have all the answers, but I can put you in touch with this person. And before long, it didn't feel quite so isolated. And it led on to other projects or other people or other organizations going, "Mm, how can we, can we tap your expertise for this and tap your expertise for that? And so networks and trying to develop those was really important as well. And that acknowledgement, I guess, and being adaptable. Yeah. It's uh, it's another thing where we were talking, uh, or you're talking in the blog about uh, uh, drama and technology sitting well together. I think that that for us, from my experience of that, and Sean, you might agree, that kind of crossed all of pedagogy, really. It was about how do I be a teacher and also adapt my practice and also learn a new skill set often because as a as a technically competent person i was like i know how to run a video conference but also while i'm running that video conference i'm hitting the snags of this person can't do what i'm asking them to do because of their environment which is out of my control plus the presentation isn't working plus i've not got a big enough screen like you're you're making those adaptations on the fly and and it does ring back to that idea of being able to create an environment where you can say to students look this is new and newness means we're learning on the go we ask it of you a lot and i give you feedback like how are we doing <laughs> can we can we work this out as we're going along <laughs> but that's that's so important isn't it it was i think we had to embrace something and make something really exciting with the opportunity to rip up the rule book and find new ways of doing stuff and that was i found that really quite liberating yeah actually. it does have to come with though and, and and because sean and i we we kind of blue sky and throw out big ideas quite a lot um it does have to particularly when it's related to covid like i found myself having to temper that a little bit or rather just make sure that i am acknowledging that people are f- scared people are freaking out people are challenged by it in ways that you know i don't know about 
And so me going, there's so many opportunities because like that's what I'm wired to do as a drama teacher. Go, oh, I'm in a, I'm in a room and the room is messy. Look at what we can make with this mess. There are a lot of people who are in a room full of mess go, I can't function until this place is clean. And like there was a lot of mess this summer. <laughs> Trying to be kind to those people was, a, was something I had to remind myself of. We've had to keep that human aspect throughout mm. and that willingness to adapt. I, I think I came back to my role and, um, in September when we came back to school and I thought, do you know what, we can pick up where we left off. All these people, we share enthusiasm, we share goals. And I was hit with so many challenges with people who were scared, not just the pupils because we you know we need to support mental health and well-being but adults as well and it was just that ability to go do you know what let's make those allowances let's do what yeah. we can this isn't forever but we're going to each other some slack you know yeah, yeah completely we've got to be adaptable we've got to do this and that and that is that is yeah within our mission and remembering that we have a common goal to get to this place but if we can't functionally get to this place because we're not looking at how we're doing we're you know we're not succeeding in our goal we need to we need to be realistic we need to be responsible we need to be kind to each other i think that's so important isn't it caring and kind and make those allowances you know we are and as i think i said earlier you know we're working with people people have got so so much going on there's so you know there's so many kind of variables even on a day-to-day you know, yeah. especially working with children, they can behave one way, one thing, you know, period five on a Tuesday, and they might be completely different period one on a Wednesday. You're like, huh? Because something's happened. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to level with everybody and go. And I think once you, once you can do that, you know, and un- yeah. try and understand a trot, or sometimes if you don't understand to go, do you know what? I don't understand. I don't know how to help you, but we can find a way. Listening is yeah, Super it's the luxury of the drama it. room for me. It's the luxury of being a drama teacher is that we do have the space and the uh, precedence to go. Okay, so what's in the room? Like, mm. how are we all doing today? I, and that's not something you'll necessarily get in a physics lesson. I love it. I love that opportunity to interact. And we, you spoke earlier, Mark, about soft skills that we get from these subjects, that we get from sport, that we get from creative subjects. And, you know, when Redbrook University is kind of spoke and we had EBACs and we looked and they started saying certain subjects were acceptable, certain ones were on the, you know, on the blacklist. We forgot, you know, soft skills. Some people can be highly intelligent, highly skilled at something, but they can't communicate with people. They haven't got that human touch. There's a senior leader I work with now and we were talking the other day and they said, such and such a person they send me all these emails and they're really brilliant with organization and they've got it all worked out and i just tweak it and make it put the human touch in and make it a little Mm. bit softer so it's palatable and you always need to have that don't you and just being able to to be with someone on a real personal level whether you're coaching someone whether you're mentoring someone whether it's a child or an adult to just go you know let's breathe for a minute let's actually delve beneath what we need to achieve and let's just make sure we're all all right as well you know in schools pastoral care especially at the minute is so important with mental health and well-being you know we band words around don't we like metacognition and things like that but if people aren't in the right mindset if we don't look after and even if we don't look after ourselves if we don't look after each other 
that goes out the window. Forget it. The collaboration's out the window. The be the ability to be brave, the ability to lead change, all out the window. All lovely blue sky ideas. We've got to look after each other. And it's and yeah, and it's about being too focused on our thing and not recognizing our audience, which is something that we train people to do. <laughs> Completely. Uh, Sometimes what does the audience need? Back and having that pit time to reflect or having someone you can bounce ideas off and go, do you know what? I'm going to make a real hash of this. This is what I want to do, but I know I'm too close to it. I've done it before and I've spoken to others and I'm, I'm thinking, I know what I want to do, but I know if I charge in like a bull in a china shop and say exactly how it is in my head right now, I'm going to upset somebody. So I've got to find me that person in the support network who can just go, help me be a bit more yeah. reflective, be a bit more human in my approach here. We do forget that we've gone on a journey to get mm. to that point and we probably need to walk people along that journey as well rather than just picking them up and slapping them down where we are right now. Completely, especially if we're enthusiastic about something that we want to get through. Sometimes you don't see the wood for the trees, do you? And other people... Oh, I'm feeling awesome. like you're throwing shade. <laughs> I feel but like I'm being shaded completely. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Do you know what I mean, though? Sometimes... Like, but oh, come, no, I, I know way too much and, what you mean. <laughs> and how many people are like, oh, but I can't do this, but I can't... And in your head, you're like, why can't you? Of course you can. <laughs> you're breathing, you can physically do that. Yeah. And you don't This is not a difficult thing for anyone, come on. Yeah, come yeah. on, I'm enthusiastic. Why aren't you? Speak, speaking a lot of truth there, man. Indeed. Speaking a lot of truth uh, there. Yeah, no. um, I think what we yeah. what we <laughs> like to ask all of our lovely guests um, is who's inspired them and, and uh, along along their journey. And we kind of say that coaches make coaches. So, you know, how we kind of go about our day to day and how we work with other people can come from lots of ideas we've had from others and, and things that have stayed with us from maybe what people have said. Um, you kind of touched on that there in terms of asking for other people's advice and things like that. So yeah, now's the opportunity, I think, to just uh, to, to give us some of those names and, and big up and shout out some people. Wow. Coaches, man, there's so many. I, I'm inspired constantly by different little tidbits and different things that people throw out there. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. That resonates with me. I'm going to take that bit. And sometimes we learn by leaders or managers. And sometimes we think, well, I definitely don't want to do it that way. And sometimes they're just as important, <laughs> aren't they? But I think in terms of my journey as an educator, I think um, there was one lady who's, who employed me actually when I became a, a one in one of my drama roles and she was head of drama and she she employed me then very quickly as soon as I got a job she moved to head of English and then dragged me in that direction and um she um she called Lynn Buckingham she's retired now but she inspired me and she inspired so many people um um because of her work ethic she was so prepared so organized so driven she, everything was mapped out and she was incredibly calm everything was already sorted we had meetings and you almost, you almost felt like she knew exactly the outcome of it and she just managed to move things in the right way she she literally lived and breathed for what she did in her preparedness i don't necessarily think i ever wanted to emulate it exactly I, but, <laughs> but that but that idea and that that preparation, that resilience, that drive really was the first time, I think, and I'd been teaching by that point about eight or nine years that that I really thought, do you know what, that's brilliant. I like that. And I've kind of remembered some of those skills of being able to work alongside her and kind of I keep those now. Um, another guy I'm doing a lot of work with at the moment, um, Gareth Johnson, um, 
in terms of his coaching, he's, I'm working with him on his leadership programs at the minute, working on three different levels, but he is incredibly inspirational in terms of his passion and his um, drive to push people forward in developing leaders and getting people to actually be developed now rather, you know, and getting, giving people the opportunity to step up and embrace new opportunities and give them support. I think he's really kept me focused and given me a real passion at the minute, especially in all the different kind of hats I wear beyond my role to get quite excited. Um, and then in terms of other kind of inspiration i'd probably say i can't think of a specific person per se the organization that i work in now the school that i work in now i feel like i say I, i've been teaching a long time when i joined that school and i was really excited by the possibility that i could lead change with support but i completely aligned with their ethos and their beliefs and how they wanted to develop and they still want to develop this well-rounded person and we can all work together and there's an element um that they tr that they give you trust they've got belief but i also think i align with their visions quite nicely and i have full faith that everything's been considered and i think for me that's really helped me to think in a new way about how i approach things in leadership as well it's such such an important uh element of workplace well-being is to is to feel that the structure the structure is there and like tied to your values sure but that there's a there's a coherence to what we're doing and why yeah and you need to agree don't you sometimes i mean people have been for job interviews hasn't they and they come away and they haven't got the job and they can be quite bitter and sometimes it's mm. not the bad job it's just that you don't fit there you're not the perfect mm. fit for them they're not the perfect fit for you and i think sometimes we forget that but when that works bingo you've hit the jackpot and you can really do something special you know and i think that's so important that perfect fit and that's why i think those people have kind of inspired me because they kind of said something that resonated within me or something that i wanted to work on you know, which drew me to them for that aspect. Lovely. And uh, Lynn Buckingham, if you're out there, <laughs> nice work. <laughs> um, the other thing we asked just to finish things off is if there's anything you want to plug, if there's anything you want to point our listeners towards, uh, either personally, professionally, or philosophically. I think, uh, I think uh, Danny, Danny, Danny left us with some, some messages of wisdom last week. Other people want you to check out their Insta. Uh, we we'll we'll go either ways if there's anything you want people to know more about we'll pop it at the end oh wow that's that's really big so we're thinking about takeaways things that people want to take away from this session um i feel like i should throw in a few more name drops you know i feel love I'd it really, I'd, a, I'd, a, I'd a really i'd a really lovely interview with marianne elliott the other day the obe two-time tony award winner director of warhorse and curious incident wow. of the dog in the night time and her drive and her belief and she, her humility yeah. was so warming when I was talking to her about how she works with teams. Um, mm. I'm just chucking that out there. Takeaways, things I think are really, really important. So we're thinking about our teams and there's no I in teams. So I think um, things take away. I think the most important thing is take the ego out of it and be human. We're working together. We're working with a common goal. We all know some people who make it the I and it's all about them, but take the ego out of it. And then you've got some humility. You're not too precious if then you have to change things. Builds quite nice on to adapt and change. 
we can be receptive to that. We can be quite reticent to it or we can just embrace change, but also that preparedness to do that at the moment, even though it's scary putting those structures in place. And I think the other thing for working with teams, it's about trust. Trust and relationships come first. And with that comes a certain humanity and a certain, there has to be a truth there. Say what you're going to do and stick to it. If you say yep. the meeting's going to, how many times, you know, have you sat in a meeting where they say it'll end on the hour and here we are 95 minutes in, you're looking at your watch, you're thinking, dare I leave? I've got so much else I need to do. Or if somebody mm. says they're going to do something, I get, you know, it can be quite frustrating when they're like, yeah, 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 I can do that, Matt. Of course I can. What, when can you do that? I can do it by Tuesday. Tuesday, they've not done it. And sometimes it's like, why haven't you? You told me you could do it. You know, if you can't, yeah. tell me. So be that trust. And then you don't trust them again. That relationship isn't quite as productive as it can be because there's always that hesitance, isn't there? To Absolutely. In to, put, to put something on someone. That, yeah. yeah, completely. So I think for me, they're the, they're the kind of most important things I think can just be you just be and th- this is what you get when you interview teachers they 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 end with a plenary that gives you some takeaways and and homework so if you want to submit your essays on teamwork to uh to matt he will mark them and get feedback to you in by half term oh, oh completely we can we can engage in some creative <laughs> habits of mind and we can get we can get arts counseling and curious minds involved. We can do Matt, that. I love that you mentioned about meetings. One of our very first episodes was me banging on about if a meeting's going to be thirty minutes, it should be thirty minutes. <laughs> Completely, but it should be, shouldn't it? You touched a nerve with me there. But you've also got to remember in the kind of human aspect, people remember, don't they? You mm. like you always remember an inspirational teacher, or you always remember when somebody did something really positive for you. It's the same way as you you will always remember somebody who's you know disrespected you wrong in that way. You. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, they're, they're wrong. Yeah, it outcomes the drama teacher there, Mark. <laughs> but yeah, completely. And I think that's that's important to acknowledge that, and and therefore treat you know in a really philosophical way, treat others the way you'd want to be treated with that humanity that honesty and just be very real with them i think uh thank you so much matt for coming on this has been an absolute pleasure and the time has flown by it is uh early on a saturday morning so we all have very very productive weekends to get on to or we're going to be watching netflix until sunday night but uh yeah it's been an absolute blast thank you so much for coming on thank you so much the honor's all mine been a real pleasure thanks mark thank you sean matt thank you so much the enthusiasm even through the screen is uh palpable so thank you very much No worries. Thank you. So you didn't feel too left out there, Sean? No, you were both very inclusive. It was like you were excellent <laughs> teachers. And and after last week, uh, and it got it, it did get uh, name checked by by Matt this week. Uh, obviously, the the work that you were doing on Danny's podcast about uh, the surrealist theatre practitioners that we were talking about, uh, he picked up on that. So obviously, considers you something of a theatre expert as well. Well, exactly. And I I do myself to a certain degree, Mark, Um, obviously not to your level, but you know, I dip my toe. One day, one day we'll we'll have like a a Shakespeare off, shall we, on the pod. Uh, (laughs) There was something Matt was talking about in there that I just wanted to pick up on that I really, really loved and that I know that you felt it. And I think no matter what team you're on, something that Matt said about buying in and enthusiasm 
as being this crucial first step. And for me, one of those missing pieces or one of the harder things to to foster while we are remote. Uh, what did you make of that, Sean? Yeah, I mean, massive advocate for the fact that if we can only do one thing, like let's be enthusiastic because I think everything else can then follow. Uh, I think if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you are managing a team, leading a team, you know, you might not have all the answers, uh, but if you can turn up and be enthusiastic, I think it's 80% of it. 20% is then the actual work um, and the structure of what you're actually trying to to do, um, which I think Matt touched on. But you could tell, you know, we're obviously speaking to him remotely and the passion and enthusiasm he has for what he, he does. You know, you could feel it through the screen and, and that was really great to, to kind of feel and, and, and hear. So, yeah, no, enthusiasm, passion's got to be up there. It's something to explore though, isn't it? Like from a, we talk about, teams from a what can you do to influence your team and it feels slightly kind of third party like how do I change other people the thing that we're talking about there is how do I bring myself into it and he had that that thing that he talked about the two percent mindset and there will be the image the diagram that he's referencing in the show notes but it's this idea that 98 percent of the the country are going to do enough and then there's two percent that are bringing that bit extra and it's that two percent that you have to kind of charge yourself up with and it's it's the people who bring that two percent the other ones that excel and part of that is how do i on the crappiest of crappy days just like give myself that adrenaline shot of enthusiasm so that i can under any circumstances show up exactly and you know if you then just kind of you know, I'm terrible at maths, but, you know, you start multiplying those two percents within a group, all of a sudden, you know, you've got way more percent of people trying to do the right thing and coming with enthusiasm and showing up, as you said, being in the room, uh, not just physically, but actually in the room. Um, and yeah, I think that can make a real difference. Uh, and the poster is really, it's, a, it's an excellent poster. I've seen it a few times um, and I think I'll probably be showing my students at some point. But yeah, no, so I think our audience should definitely check out that poster in the show notes. But um, it's a great visual of, of what you can do to just not be that 98%. <laughs> and, and just recognising as well that it's not, if I don't bring it, that's it. It's like a set of scales. If you are not on one side, you are on the other side. If you're on the bringing the positives and showing up side, that is infectious. It develops it in other people and that side of the scale gets tipped for the team. If you haven't bought it, it's not that you are being, you know, you're not having an impact. If you haven't bought it, you are putting your weight on the side that drags it down and that is also infectious and it also brings the team so the kind of being able to have these positive and enthusiastic people show up and and spread that is it is it is a is a huge deal yeah i mean i'll just give you an example from how i felt yesterday watching the England Island rugby match you know I, I'm not a rugby player it's not my number one sport but I do enjoy watching the international games and England were dominating the game I think it was maybe 18 nil or 12 nil at this point of the game and I believe there was like a, a turnover or, or something like that England turned over possession and there was two players 
on the pitch, Johnny May and Mario Toje, who literally celebrated like they just won the World Cup because mentally they knew how important it was. Even though they were 12 no up or, you know, that, that they were dominating the game, they knew how important it was. And that's infectious for a fan. Yeah, the value of the steps in the process. Yeah, because as a fan, I was loving it going, look how much these guys care. The players around them would have been loving it because they would have been going, yeah, these boys are up for it. And it would have had a negative impact on the Irish team who, you know, they did go on to lose the game because they can see, wow, we are being dominated here and these boys are so locked into what they're doing. You know, the commentators were talking about it. They slow-moed it. They slow-moed the celebrations. And, you know, the pundits could really kind of tell how locked in and engaged these players were and how much it meant to them. And, you know, that is infectious. For a fan, it's infectious. For the people around them, it's infectious. And if you can bring that energy to what you do on a day-to-day basis, it's not easy. And, you know, we certainly don't do it every day. But if you can at least try or know what it feels like, I think it can make a huge difference on the people around you. Completely. And and we'll get someone, we'll find someone to talk about this. But also, just what you illustrated there of, of, as part of the process... The, the the wins, the intermediate wins, the, the steps that we're taking being as important as the end goal in terms of how we recognise success and how we celebrate them in order to keep that momentum and in order to to know that we're on the right track. Matt talked a lot about, uh, and actually Danny did as well, so I think it must be part of the culture of, of their workplace, of recognising the traits and the uh, outcomes that let you know you're on the right track that you're successful yeah absolutely so cheer, cheer, cheering for the process is is crucial in that in that respect um that's uh yeah a great episode i hope everyone enjoyed it yeah i really enjoyed that one yeah we're going to uh keep going we've got a couple of exciting people in the works uh some people have literally written the book on uh working in teams i'll drop that in as a as a a little taster but um yep as we line those up we'll be getting them in we'll be interviewing them and hopefully uh we do i was aware we've been a bit sport heavy that's that's like if you can if you can find a way and i think part of what we were trying to do here was find a way to apply that stuff to other places you know, for me to apply sports into my performing arts practice and, and, and vice versa. So if this stuff is helpful for you as a, as a team member at work, amazing. If there's a, a, a philosophy or a practice that, or even just a slogan on a poster that makes it feel better as a collaborator, then, then we're doing what we were hoping to do. So we're going to keep on doing that. Yes, we are. Uh, if you have anyone or any area you want us to talk about, you can always uh, hit us up on social media at Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, email us, Mark or Sean, at show. That's our website as well, uh, show. I think you can comment on our episodes, but we would much rather you gave us a review and five stars, like we're your favourite Uber driver on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and wherever you listen to your podcast even better tell your friends uh so that we can reach our target of uh we're about what three quarters of the global population listen now and we really want to push for that last quarter 
make sure the steps you know, the steps mark in the in the billabongs of of australia someone's listening and up in siberia we're catching those last ones as well uh so yeah if you if you like what we do recommend us that would be wonderful check out all the links in the show notes to us and to matt and to the work that he's doing uh but for now all that's left is for uh me to say goodbye from sean goodbye guys and goodbye from me goodbye you must be like the wolf pack teamwork yes